You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Leela Pollock, Associate Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, HIV Specialist and Clinical Director of the Perinatal HIV Hotline at the National Clinician Consultation Center, to talk about recent changes regarding chest feeding for people with HIV in the DHHS, or Department of Health and Human Services, Perinatal HIV Guidelines. Welcome, Leela. Thank you for having me, Mariana. So let's get right into it. How were community members and advocates involved in this update to the guidelines? So this sea change has really been driven by patients, consumers, and advocates who have pushed to be able to have choice and bodily autonomy in infant feeding decisions. Being able to consider, even consider this revision to the guidelines was really based on the foundation of their work. We were extremely fortunate to have community members and advocates involved from the beginning in this current update. Um, The Panel on Treatment of HIV During Pregnancy and Prevention of Perinatal Transmission, which is the group that creates this guidelines um, within the Department of Human Health, within the Department of Health and Human Services, um, includes community members who help to write, revise, discuss, and vote on each section. But in addition, we reached out to community members and leaders at the Well Project and the International Community of Women Living with HIV North America, who gave input into the overall content and various drafts along the way. And I have to say that this section of the guidelines is so much stronger thanks to their input. Before we get into, you know, all the details regarding the guidelines, can you talk a little bit about the difference and importance of the terminology of breastfeeding versus chest feeding? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. So um, I tend to use the terms together. Um, So talk about infant feeding or I talk about breastfeeding and chest feeding. Um, really to be inclusive and to recognize that people across the gender spectrum um, get pregnant and give birth. Um, So breastfeeding and chest feeding are both terms that are used to describe feeding a child one's own milk, which can be either directly from one's body or with expressed milk. Um, And like I mentioned, not everyone who gives birth identifies as female or as a woman. Um, Some transgender men and gender diverse individuals might prefer using the term chest feeding rather than breastfeeding. And I I believe it's very important to use inclusive affirming language around 
gender. So I'll generally use the term breast chest, breast slash chest feeding or breast and chest feeding. Um, I'll also use phrases like women and other birthing people to acknowledge the diverse identities of people who give birth, but also to honor the contributions that cisgender women have made in fighting for inclusion and in HIV research and treatment. So what exactly has changed in these guidelines? Yeah, so there's a lot in this section, but really the, the top line change is that most pregnant people with HIV should have the freedom to choose how they want to feed their baby. Individuals with HIV who are on antiretroviral therapy or HIV medications with a sustained undetectable viral load should be presented with the options of breasts or chest feeding or replacement feeding with formula or banked pasteurized donor milk. They should be given unbiased and evidence-based information, and they should be supported in their choice. There are also more details about the logistics of counseling and management for both the lactating parent and the baby. Um, for people with HIV who aren't on antiretroviral therapy or who don't have a suppressed viral load during the end of pregnancy and at delivery, um, it's important to note that it's still recommended that their babies receive only formula or banked pasteurized donor milk. But it, regardless, providers are still advised to engage them in a conversation about infant feeding. And there is some guidance about how to engage families in care and provide prophylaxis and testing for the baby in the case that someone chooses to breast or chest feed in this scenario, despite this recommendation. The other big change is an explicit statement that referral to Child Protective Services or other family welfare agencies is not an appropriate response to the infant feeding choices of people with HIV, regardless of their viral load or antiretroviral status. We continue to hear stories about providers threatening to call or actually calling Child Protective Services or refusing to provide care to people with HIV who ask about breast or chest feeding their infants. This is often done in an attempt to intimidate or coerce someone into not considering breast or chest feeding. And the, the guidelines make it clear that calling CPS or refusing to provide care are inappropriate and harmful responses to someone making a decision about infant feeding that you don't agree with. We know that it can shut down conversation. It furthers HIV stigma. It pushes people out of care. It harms families. It also fits into a pattern of biased policing and application of policies that lead to the most marginalized and particularly Black and Indigenous communities being unjustly surveilled and punished for reproductive health-related decisions. So it's a major um, win and change that this statement is explicitly in the guidelines. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, what is the actual risk of HIV transmission through breast slash chest feeding? Yeah, that is an important question. So we know that the risk is low. It's definitely less than 1%. And we can't say for sure that the risk is zero. Um, so we know from big studies conducted in other areas of the world that when antiretroviral therapy is started late in pregnancy, like in the third trimester or at delivery, the risk of postnatal transmission or transmission through breast or chest feeding is much less than 1%. Um, the best data that we have is from one large study called the PROMISE study, where the risk of transmission was 0.3% at six months and 0.7% at both 12 and 18 months, or three in a thousand breastfed infants and seven in a thousand breastfed infants. 12 and 18 months. What we don't know and don't have good data on yet is the risk of HIV transmission when antiretroviral therapy is started early in pregnancy or before pregnancy. 
and when viral suppression is achieved throughout pregnancy and delivery, which is the most common scenario for birthing people with HIV in the United States. So unfortunately, we don't know yet if there's a scenario where U equals U, where undetectable equals untransmittable. Um, the largest case series we have from um, the United States and, and Canada is uh, was published by Levison et, et al., who published on 72 cases of breastfeeding mother-child pairs. Um, and in that case series, there were zero HIV transmissions. Um, there's also some case series from Germany and from the UK, um, but again, uh, data that we're that we're still building, um, and that hopefully we will continue to to build more of a um, more of a repository of data on. Um, so really, for for each individual pregnant person with HIV, um, we as healthcare providers are counseling them so that they can make a decision for themselves that's based on what they know about themselves, their ability to take their HIV medication daily, and the benefits that they desire from breast or chest feeding, such as improved bonding with their baby, the ability to give their baby the benefits of the quote-unquote liquid gold that is human milk and the ability to feed their baby in public without questions or accusations, and really the ability to parent from the very beginning in the way that's best for their family. And that's not a decision that any healthcare provider or individual can make for someone. That's really an individual decision that that people with HIV make for themselves with our support. Can you tell listeners about the significance of these changes to the breast slash chest feeding guidelines? Yeah. So I will say that talking to both providers and community members and patients, this is a really big change. Um, the history of reproductive and sexual health for people living with HIV has been unfortunately steeped in coercion, lack of choice, paternalism, and criminalization. This has changed with modern antiretroviral therapy and, and everything we know about the power of treatment as prevention. Um, as I'm sure everyone listening is aware, HIV is a chronic treatable condition and people with HIV can have healthy, low-risk pregnancies and healthy HIV-negative babies, just like everyone else. But we also still have a lot of work to do to address HIV-related stigma in the general community, but also inside of the healthcare system. And this change of supporting women and other birthing people with HIV and choosing to breast or chest feed, or not if that's what they choose, is an important step towards true reproductive justice and freedom. On an individual level, for some people, breast or chest feeding is part of the cultural expectation of motherhood, and not having this option can really come at a steep emotional cost. People with HIV talk about having to explain themselves over and over again and make up excuses for not breastfeeding. And I think we should note that there's a particular importance of breast or chest feeding for many migrants from countries in sub-Saharan Africa, where not breastfeeding can arouse suspicion and may even out an individual's HIV-positive status. Um, we also know that there are very well-documented health benefits to breast and chest feeding for both parents and babies, and it's wonderful that that people with HIV and their babies can now have access to those benefits. Um, we also know that prohibiting breast or chest feeding may exacerbate health inequities. Um, those with limited access to social and health resources are the most impacted by HIV, primarily due to the effects of structural racism. And they also experience a greater burden of health conditions that can potentially be attenuated by breast or chest feeding. Um, the other thing is just thinking about how we in healthcare approach 
counseling. And what we've heard from people with HIV is that even if someone ultimately chooses to feed their baby formula, when they receive directive counseling that says just like flat out, you can't breastfeed, you're a danger to your baby, it feels degrading and harmful and strips them of agency. And so, you know, when given the information and the choice to breast or chest feed, some people will still choose formula and some may hopefully have access to banked human donor milk if that's what they want. But the fact that they had a choice is still important. Leela, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us about these most recent changes to the breast slash chest feeding guidelines and why they're so important for the HIV community. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nekaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.